You're listening to a Radio Stockdale podcast. Podcasts that are inspiring, interactive, and feature various discussions of leadership, ethics, and law. Welcome to Philosophy at the Movies, a podcast where we discuss themes in the history of philosophy through the medium of films. I'm Alex Baker, and joining me as always... Sean Baker. And today's topic is the 1972 film, 1776. So that's one thing I was... I just assumed that the film would have come out in 1976. I looked at it, it was like, 1972, man, they really missed that one, didn't they? Yes, they did, and I don't know exactly why, but... uh... Um, you know, this is this is uh, kind of going back far in time in terms of my memory banks. But I do remember there was quite a build-up, really starting in '71 or so, when there was a five, you know, the five, the fifth year tick up to the bicentennial. It really started in pop culture being uh, uh, emphasized, right? So I can understand why that happened at this time. Uh, that's part of the reason. Uh, another another reason they maybe felt they couldn't wait is you have to remember the time period here. Their uh, early seventies, late sixties. Uh, suffice it to say that the the country was in turmoil for a whole host of reasons. So I think the country needed a little bit of a reminder of how special it is, actually, and. Um, it's an interesting choice to uh, 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 make that make the vehicle of that reminder um, the uh, Second Continental Congress. You would think it would be a terribly dull um, project. Yes, it's exciting. Yes, there was a revolution. Yes, it started a country. But still, you know, if you look back on, at the uh, uh, history and the documentation and the debates, I mean, it's typical government debates. These very nuanced discussions of tax laws and all kinds of things. So you get bogged down in the details. So you would think that the the writers of this story would have had trouble uh, sifting the drama out of the uh, uh, out of the chaff, so to speak. The and they do. I think they did a good job. It 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 it, it does that. It, 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 manages to convey the historical significance of this and you know this is the founding of what is probably the most influential country in the in the world today and perhaps all time right um at the same time they do a good job of humanizing these guys you know uh they are far from being marble busts that you typically see when you go into washington dc or you go to the uh, libraries of people like Jefferson or Adams. Um, these are these guys are human beings, and they did a very good job of uh, conveying that. I think. You know, we should bring up that for those who don't know, 1776 is a musical, and before it became a movie, it was a Broadway musical that was very popular back in 1969. It was by Sherman Edwards. Yes, and it is interesting that. A, I think, because it wasn't met with... I looked at the critics at the time. Ebert didn't like it. Oh, he despised it. Yeah. He thought it was way too simplistic, and he thought the 
characters were kind of cartoonish. I, one of the things I thought was funny, he said, <laughs> if going by this movie's logic, the only thing uh, Thomas Jefferson needed to finish the Declaration of Independence <laughs> was get busy with his wife. Yeah, yeah. And, and that is complete fabrication, by the way. None of that actually happened. Um, but it, once again, it's it's the efforts of it's it's the efforts of Sherman to show that these guys were uh, human beings after all. And uh, as far as I know, the only wife that was actually in town at the time was uh, Dickinson's wife, um, and, and she doesn't even appear in the. Yeah. And, and, and he's made. I guess I'll quibble with the way he's portrayed. In yeah, because I was. I, I did research on them and. He was opposed yeah. to the Declaration of Independence, and, and but he was nowhere near the, you know, bully that he is a portrayed to yeah. be in the movie. And he, yeah. he, like even Adams and other people respected him, even when he went against them. And his reasons for that wasn't that he was like they make him out to be like almost like a lapdog or a yeah. complete loyalist, just and you know always yeah. wanting to stay with Britain. He said, "I don't like them." And yeah. he actually was for originally taking arms, like back in 75 against the Battle of Lexington and Concord. He was just saying, we before we do, he was a Quaker, so he was a pacifist, so he was opposed to violence. And he said, one of the things we do need to do if we do declare independence is have a foreign ally, which we ended up doing because I don't yeah. think we would have won the war if we didn't get help, France's help. Absolutely. And, you know, and he <laughs> understood the, the rationale behind the uh, uh, an, an argument for revolution. He ultimately thought that there were still other peaceful means to bring it about, but he wrote a series of letters. Let me get the title right here. I'm going to look at my screen for a second. Uh, letters from a farmer in Pennsylvania that uh, made a very good case for uh, uh, Parliament and King George to you know give more consideration to these co- uh, colonies. Um, they're a vital part of your kingdom. They bring in a lot of income. They also allow a lot of trade. It's for your benefit that you don't treat them with uh, indifference and neglect. I mean, that was one of the central complaints that he made and the other men made is that um, it, it wasn't so much taxation without representation. It was simply just taxation without kind of any any kind of input. And... Uh, very often, the Parliament and King George would just simply uh, rule through their local governors, where before, according to a lot of the charters of, of the uh, colonies, they had agreed to give the colonies a fair degree of autonomy in, turn, in terms of legislation. Well, they would willy-nilly just disband the legislature, legislatures, make them illegal if they did something that uh, uh, um, Parliament didn't like. And uh, sometimes never let them reconvene, never even let them hold an election to, to uh, create a new um, local legislature. And this went on for a long time. And, you know, and that piled on to the fact we're getting taxed again without any kind of representation. That's another thing they did petition for. A lot of these legislative bodies, hey, let us have somebody in parliament so that we can at least vote on this. And and they just didn't do it, and they would not respond uh, at all. And, and they'd pass reasonable laws that if if the British had looked at them and, and realized, yeah, it kind of makes sense. Um, all the king had to do, he had a direct line to the colonial uh, legislative bodies where he could, like he did with Parliament, 
um, essentially simply by assenting to whatever had been passed. Um, they, uh, he, he had that ability. He wouldn't even do that. He wouldn't, he wouldn't even review the laws. And it just drove him nuts after a while, because it, it, at first in the 1760s, uh, a vast majority of the uh, colonials were loyalists. And actually, up until 1774, when they convened uh, to seriously consider the question of independence, even at that point, most of those guys were loyalists. Um, it was just monumental stupidity on their part. <laughs> you know? what, what, I do, what I do like about this movie, it shows that well, I think when we think about the American Revolution, we just think everybody in the colonies was just completely for independence, and it was a divisive issue. There were people even when the war was going on, who still wanted to remain loyal to Great Britain, that this wasn't just a clear cut. Everyone was for independence. Yes. And they do a good job with that. Uh, mm -hmm. um, I, I can kind of hear Ebert's ghost in the background. You know, you know they, they portray these guys as just, just almost in a Marxist light. They're just property rich guys trying to protect their property. That's all they, they, you know, and they're to some extent, I, I think, think that critique of this movie is, is would be accurate. Uh, uh, not all of the guys were rich landed gentry. Because um, Dickinson's the leader of that, and they have that dance when he, when Adams yeah. leaves, and it's like they're always to the right, never, I mean, yeah, never yeah. to the left, always to the right, and it plays them as these crusty, rich yeah. elites. And, that, and Dickinson, once again, wasn't like that. I wasn't feel like, like they that. did him yeah. really wrong. Yeah, and a lot of the guys weren't like that. It's, again, simplistic, and it, it might be a reflection of uh, kind of a Marxist reading of American history that was getting pretty popular at that time. Uh, and it still has influence today, I think, Uh uh, exemplified in, in 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 books like Howard Howard Zinn's uh, A People's History of uh, the United States, it it kind of has that view. So you can see that influence, I think, on the uh, book the book writer for the movie. But it's not overdone. I don't think. I mean, to, to take the other position, you know, I, I think Ebert would complain about that overly Marxist. Uh, uh, libretto, whatever you want to call it. You said it, it was very um, simplistic of the founding yeah, fathers. Yeah, and, and you know, to some extent that's right. But there were all, there was were also enough elements in the in the script uh, to show that that wasn't uh, the primary motivation of these guys. It was it was really a just the the a, a reaction to the lack of respect and neglect again. Uh, ignoring almost with silent contempt the reasonable complaints that the, that the colonists had about how they were being uh, governed, how they were being taxed. I mean, we have to remember, I mean, uh, an analogy I, like, I would like to draw. You know, a lot of the stuff that caused the revolution end up, ended up being codified as don'ts in the Bill of Rights, right? Um, one of the things that we have to remember is the, the uh, capriciousness with which uh, uh, British uh, Parliament, King George, the governors, uh, would bring over troops and not merely quarter them. You know, they could show up at your house and say, look, uh, we, have, we, have this, uh, we have this group of uh, soldiers, uh, you need to put them up, right? You don't have a choice, by the way. It wasn't just that. I mean, they could confiscate houses, property, 
kick you out of your house and have those guys live there for as long as they wanted. And particularly in Massachusetts, this was a real problem. Um, that would be akin to, uh, you know, you're, you're sitting at home watching TV one night, you get that knock at the mm-hmm. door, right? And, and here's a, here's a, a group of uh, soldiers and, and they're, they're telling you they're taking your house and oh, by the way, you need to leave. You may never get it back again. That's amazing that they would think that would not uh, just get get the quills up. Um, and, and, you know, that's just one of many instances of, again, monumental stupidity on part of the uh, on the part of the uh, British when it when it came to how they treated this particular group of uh, colonies. And we would be talking a lot about this, you know, with the historical accuracy and whether it's portrayed like this or it's too simplistic. I feel we that's an endless debate over any time you do an adaptation because I mean the other most notable like revolutionary war movie there's a couple but one of them was The Patriot with Mel Gibson and a lot of people have problems with how that's portrayed it's been yeah. a while since I've seen that so I can't attest to the accuracy yeah and then there's uh, they've did I think Disney back in the sixties did an adaptation of Johnny Tremaine. Mm-hmm. And then there was Al Pacino did a Revolutionary War movie. I forget which that one is. But it's always going to be uh, not just Revolutionary War, but any war movie or historical movie. There's always going to be that debate. And I always say it's never going to be 100% accurate. And if you're going to change a few things to make somebody a villain, I don't think that's the worst thing. I do think they did Dickinson wrong. And if people are going to think the wrong things about him... But if you're going to have a movie, it's important to have an antagonist. Yes. So I don't think it's the the biggest sin if it sometimes is a little bit simplistic or you're going to fudge a few facts. Yeah, and a, 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 a good a good reason often to simplify and sometimes telescope ser- the actions and thoughts of several people into the char- into one character. And by the way, I think they did it, they did that with Adams too. I think he is a, in this movie an amalgamation of several people. Yeah, and, um, he, what, and according to records, he wasn't like this annoying guy nobody could stand. He was well-respected among members of Parliament. Yeah. So like that opening song was like, oh, sit down, John. Yes. Like, they wouldn't have something like that. But it's, I, I love that. But it is based on his own words. But uh, apparently uh, at this time in his life, I think he was in his early 40s, uh, he wasn't irritating and in, 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 uh, often rubbing rubbing people the wrong way. That happened later <laughs> during his presidency. Um, but um, there's a purpose behind those kinds of, as it were, caricatures. And the other one, I think, um, uh, the other the other example of a character that uh, in real life did nothing like what is portrayed in the film is Rutledge. He's the one that makes this uh, uh, re- kind of repugnant argument and song about, uh, as it were, the the economic uh, benefits of the practice of slavery and how intertwined in all the economic life of all of the colonies it was, not just the South. Um, you had, you know, ship shipping concerns in the in the northern colonies often taking slaves over um all of that's true right and these these things were debated but he himself never made that kind of an argument and uh the whole episode where the southern contingent walks out that didn't happen that didn't happen at all 
um, by the time they had got around to writing the declaration, they had already decided they were they were going to take out that uh, section that Jefferson did write about slavery. And interestingly, interestingly enough, blaming the practice of slavery in the colonies on King George. <laughs> hmm. uh, and the argument's a little bit convoluted and uh, implausible, but it's there. Uh, and the important point there, and you know, we'll get to the uh, inconsistencies here, but the, the important point there is that that argument was made and together with the language in the preamble about uh, all men being created equal and all of them having inalienable rights, rights that you can't touch, um, governments can't touch and cannot legislate away. Um, it's an interesting combination because it's, uh, um, uh, although for practical purposes, they had to make it a, a difficult choice to take that out, that language out, at least difficult mm -hmm. at the constitutional or the, the uh, Continental Congress. Um, they had to take it out or they would not get unanimity on the vote. And, you know, I think it's a, a Franklin's character makes the, makes the argument, look, we have to do this first. Then over time, that issue will be resolved. And you have to put language in the document that makes sure it will be. Because people will notice the inconsistency, inconsistencies, but that's precisely what we want to happen so that in the future it will be dealt with. That's one of the things I do like about this musical is that they do talk, uh, talk in great length about that issue of slavery and just the inconsistencies of you're fighting for independence and freedom. You talk about tyranny and almost slavery to the British Empire, but here you are holding slaves. Yeah. And it does, it, I'm not sure, because if you look at people today, like the younger generation, when they look at the founding fathers, many people don't even like them. They consider them horrible people because of their record for slavery. I think one of the people who has the most criticism towards them is Thomas Jefferson. Yeah. The fact that not only he kept, even writing that passage, he kept slaves for many years, but yeah. he also fathered children. Either he or his brother. They, no, they have, well, his, his relationship with Sally Hemings. Yeah, right. He fathered children. Right. And that they believe they still were slaves even after they he they were born. So it it does it I'm not sure if it necessarily condemns them as in saying these are bad people, but they're saying like this was do you think that they should have taken that stand even if it meant not getting unanim unanimity? I that's a good question. I, I think um it, I think it was important that uh, a document be generated that laid the groundwork for the charge of inconsistency and also laid the groundwork for a possible way to, uh, uh, through constitutional means, to make it illegal. Um, interestingly enough, it took more than constitutional means to ultimately make it illegal. We had to fight another war to make it illegal. 90 years later. Yeah. But um, I don't think I think the public nature of the declaration provided an impetus. I think slavery would have been slower in being eradicated 
if you didn't have it such a public declaration. And you wouldn't have had a public declaration to that effect if this group of men did not get together, hammer it out, and eventually vote for the passage of that thing. So I think in the long run, um, it was good. And I think in the long run, in, in terms of judging these men and Jefferson, and uh, by the way, Dickinson had slaves, and he released his much sooner than Jefferson did. He released his in the 1780s. Um, but um, you have to give them credit for recognizing the inconsistency of their economy and their practices and planting the seeds for its ultimate dissolution. Right? And it's it's a little bit hard for people in today's... Especially the time it took from the signing of the Declaration, the time it took when we had the Civil War yeah. and the uh, Emancipation Proclamation. Yeah. It's 90 years. Although, you know, you do have to keep in mind that a lot of the, the northern colonies did make it illegal long before the Civil War era. Um, but in terms of a consistent national policy, it just simply wasn't there. And uh, on that on that front, too, I think it's interesting to keep in mind that, you know, the, the first form of government in America was uh, uh, chartered by the Articles of Confederation, which gave states a lot more power over uh, their localities to such an extent that a lot of the men, you know, thought it, w- it would not be possible to form a unified federal government for purposes of national defense. So ultimately, that that led to the Constitutional Convention, which, uh, as you know, had the um, debate between the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists going on. And that's part of the reason Adams and Jefferson ended up hating each other for most of their lives. Um, But uh, again, I think all of that, believe it or not, I think it accelerated the end of slavery, even though it was, like you said, uh, decades later before it was eventually eradicated, they placed the seeds. That's the important thing to remember. I think talking about that and sort of how the we different, you know, younger people view the founding fathers today, I think it's interesting because this did, we mentioned this did come out in 1972 and the musical came out in 1969. So this is at the height of, you mentioned the Vietnam War, the civil rights movement. Yep. And then the same year it comes out, we've had the Watergate scandal. So this is kind of at the time when faith in the government is at an all-time low. And I think I remember read an uh, article by uh, an interview with yeah. the um, playwright um, Sherman Edwards. And he even talks about it's like He said people were saying, do you want to make a movie about the Founding Fathers when we've got Watergate and we've got Nixon in the office? And yeah. I don't, it's, I don't think it's like... Like I said, I don't think it's con- saying these were terrible people, but Mm-mm. saying that they definitely, spe- especially with the issue of slavery, they've made some horrible decisions. It's yeah. like a, a horrible decision as far as that. Yeah, but is. but the overall message I think is is one, it, it is one that says you know uh, in the end these, what these guys did guys did was remarkable, and then kind of on the stage of world history, they ended up creating a country that in the long run tries its best to live up to its ideals. And one of those ideals was the idea, the ideals neatly encapsulated in the preamble there, and that all men are created equal, et cetera, et cetera. So it's been a force in the world for that kind of good. 
And if you had asked these guys, most of them, you know, project forward into the 21st century, what do you think the impact will be? I think most of them would have been amazed <laughs> to see the kind of influence the United States has on the world now. Uh, oddly enough, though, I, I think two, the two figures, uh, Jefferson and Adams, they saw what would happen. They, they actually had a fairly accurate view that, you know, if this thing goes over and if we manage to uh, hold our independence, they fully expected the British to come back, which they did, right? Um, um, uh, there will be a, a significant impact on world historical proportions on, on world history. And they ended up being correct about that. And it's interesting you bring up Nixon, too. Um, uh, Nixon liked the musical. He actually had it performed at the White House with the United States Marine Corps band playing the uh, music. And there's interesting stories around that because uh, most of the cast did not like Nixon. Uh, you know, most actors, shock, tend to be on the left side of the politics. Um, but they did it. And he was he, he really quite liked it. Um, but what's interesting is when it came time to make the film, uh, Jack Warner, who was relatively co close with Richard Nixon, you know, from Warner Brothers, um, he contacted him and said, you sure you want to make this? You sure you want us to do this film? Uh, Nixon actually said yes, but he wanted them to take out that song. Yeah, never to the uh, right. Always to the right, never to the left. Yes, because he, he, he felt it was taking jabs at Republicans and conservatism. Um, I would point out that the, the, the terminology in that, that song is anachronistic. The, uh, the terms left and right fell out of the French Revolution, which wasn't going to happen until later. <laughs> but at any rate, um, I, I think the, the, the wording was changed from cool conservative men to cool considerate, considerate men. Yep. So it's funny because I, I know uh, what it, Warner ended up doing was uh, – uh, pushing hard on the filmmakers to not film that portion. They did film the portion, that portion anyway. Then he said, okay, I'm going to cut up the negatives. So the theatrical release won't have it. Uh, somehow or another, they managed to save those negatives, the, the people that... Because yeah. uh, so, we saw the director's cut, yes. so I imagine the original theatrical cut did not have that. It did that not scene. have that. Okay. The original theatrical cuts, also, there was a lot of dialogue that was left out. It only ran about one hour, 40 minutes. And it's good. Uh, I, I, th I think, uh, you know, the, uh, President Nixon's sensitivities were too much. Um he should have gone with his first response, which is to say, wow, this is a pro-American film. It is. And part of, the, part of what's great about America is its ability to self-criticize. And I, when people hear this, they talk about, you know, it's the Founding Fathers. It's a musical. For the current, I think the current generation, they're going to be thinking, this must have been an influence on Hamilton. And that's right. And it is right, because the creator of Hamilton, he's the star as well, Lin-Manuel Miranda. Yeah. He was... Friends with Sherman Edwards, and they have that. They, they interviewed each other, and he talked about how much he liked it. And it's because I, I watched it just for the first time in preparation for this. It's just as long as this one. It's almost three hours, and it's not <laughs> technically a movie. It's just a recording of one of the plays. But um, it's interesting because one of the things I noticed in this movie, because it's about founding fathers, 
Washington isn't in it. Madison isn't in it. Samuel Adams isn't in it. Yeah. But in this in this one, it focuses more on Hamilton. And Hamilton, I didn't know, but he worked under Washington during the war because he was about a teenager at the time. Yeah. And they did, he did a lot of like cutting under supply lines and doing some uh, kind of guerrilla tactics for Washington. Yeah. And it yeah. follow and it doesn't that it's pretty much. 1776 is the beginning and it goes through his time and after and working the constitution yeah and what it's what's what the main thing is we talk about the slavery all the cast members in that movie except the guy who plays king george and he shows up and he's like the comedic relief because he's just a complete buffoon (laughs) but in the fat george (laughs) but in the musical all the cast are african-american yes um which is interesting because I was thinking that they were going to have the issue of slavery play more. But actually, I would say 1776 does more to talk about that. There is yeah. like a because there's they talk about uh, like, you know, they have the debates. But in the musical, it's a rap battle, which was kind of interesting. But they have one with Jefferson and Hamilton and, and Je- Jefferson. They're talking about the national debt, which Hamilton helped create. Um, and he was talking about, you know, the South does more, we create more. And then Hamilton says, well, who's the one that really creates, especially in your plantation? You know, yeah. talking about slavery. But that's pretty much pretty it. Much it doesn't it, yeah. get into more into that. But it's, I think some people didn't like that musical because they portray Jefferson Moore as a villain. He's the villain in that. Yeah. But it, it was a good musical. And it, it, it kind of, it's like, a, you could say it's a sequel to 1776. It starts at 1776 and follows up until his death with yeah. the duel with Aaron Burr. And again, it's a good case. I haven't seen it, but I've heard nothing but good things about it. But it's a, a, yet another excellent case of somebody taking some difficult historical material in terms of uh, creating a musical out of, let alone a compelling uh, story and, and, and sifting the sifting the wheat from the chaff and, and managing to create a very entertaining and profitable uh, musical. Uh, and, and it doesn't condemn or demonize It's anybody. realistic. Yeah. It's realistic it about the human beings involved. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the you don't need to talk about slavery because the cast is black. But the point is made. Getting close to the end of my questions, is there anything else you want to bring up before we sign off? Uh, nothing in particular. I just, I, I really, this is one of my favorite films. I, I just like the little bits of humor all the way through it. It humanizes these guys. John Hancock cracks me up. He just, he, he's always swatting the flies. And then, uh, I love McNair's little commentaries. Ah, oh, sweet Jesus. You know, he mm-hmm. says that every once in a while. Mm-hmm. And, and the, and the portrayal of just the boring, bureaucratic, day to day business of a legislature. They're, they have all these little trivial things that mm-hmm. they're having to vote on and so forth. It's just brilliant. I, I love that part. All right. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Philosophy at the Movies. You can find this podcast and more podcasts produced by the Stockdale Center by visiting the Radio Stockdale page at usna.edu. This program is hosted by Radio Stockdale. There you can also listen to their podcasts such as Ethics on the Naval Warrior and The Do Over. If you like this podcast, you might be interested in my other podcast, Real Sounds, where each episode I dedicate to classic movie soundtracks. That can be found online at thesoundofcinema.podomatic.com. So until next time, I'm Alex Baker. And I'm Sean Baker. Be sure to catch us next time on Philosophy at the Movies.